Well, I'm excited to open God's Word with you. We are in a series right now that we're going through in the book of Philippians. And we're in a a little short series in chapter 1 that we've called To Live is Christ. And this, this little series we're in right now is built around those really famous, well-known words. You may have them hanging up in your house somewhere that Paul said in verse 21 of chapter 1, which is, for me to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain. gain. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For generations in the church, those words have served to strengthen believers, to help make us uh, bold and strong and courageous for the name and the renown of Jesus. Um, and, and, but I, what I want for those uh, words is for them to become more than something framed on the wall. You know, if you've got that Hobby Lobby print and it's on the wall, awesome. I want you to read it every day and I want you to look at it. And I want you to go, that's awesome. But it ought to be working something in you. Right, it ought to be doing something, and I think for us to really take hold of what Paul is, what God is doing in Paul when he writes these words, we've really got to kind of see it in the context of the full letter of Philippians. Here's why: there is a thread that runs through the entire letter of Philippians. There's a theme that connects the whole thing together, and that's the thread of joy. The thread of joy. Twenty times. In this letter, it's a little letter, it's only four chapters, but 20 times Paul uses the words or the phrases related to joy or rejoicing. It's in every chapter. It's why John Piper calls this book the happiest book in the Bible. That's what he calls this. Because in Philippians, Paul, he talks more about joy than anything else, and yet I think it's important that we remember he's writing this letter from a dingy Roman prison. That's where he's writing from, right? And he's been there for two years. And that's a place that you and I, we would associate, that, it's that place that is for us associated with misery and pain and hardship and all the things that we think of as the opposite of joy. Paul is surrounded by every conceivable obstacle to his joy, and yet 20 times he talks about joy and rejoicing. Why? Because there is a perspective there that is being shaped by something powerful. There's a perspective being shaped by something powerful. And so we've called the message today, gospel perspective and supernatural joy. And those things are linked to one another. Gospel perspective and supernatural joy. Well, have you ever asked yourself, what shapes my perspective? What shapes how I see the world and view the world and experience the world. I think everyone has a perspective. Most of us are trying to have a better perspective. Um, I I was thinking about that, so I decided, here's what I'll do. I'll just Google how to have a better perspective, right? Did y'all know there's some nonsense on the internet? Did y'all know that? (laughs) There's just some dumb stuff out there, right? And so immediately, so I Google how to change my perspective. That's what I that's what I put into uh, the thing, the, the box where you type the letters. And so I put it in there, and there was multiple things that came up. Stuff like this. Seven perspective, seven perspective shifts to change your life. And I was like, oh, that sounds good. That sounds awesome. One of them was 15 secrets to having a better perspective. I was like, oh, I'm going to read that one. They found the secret. Whatever it is, there's 15 of them, and they know something I don't know, right? 
One of them was 11 ways to improve your perspective. And here's what I discovered in all of them. They were all just an echo chamber of one another. They're all saying the same thing. And as I read through those, 15 ways to do this, seven secrets here, 11 new ways to think. As I read through that, here's what I discovered. None of them were necessarily Christian articles, but all of those principles they were given seemed to be based on an eternal truth God had already given. It was very interesting. So I'm reading 11 ways to improve my perspective, and here's, here's some of them. Um, it said, if you want to improve your perspective, consider someone else's perspective. And I thought, boy, that sounds a whole lot like uh, put the needs of others as more important than your own, right? And then one of them was, if you want to improve your perspective, look for something positive. And I thought, huh, sounds a lot like set your mind on things that are above and not below. It sounds a lot like uh, uh, whatever is lovely, whatever is holy, whatever is pure, whatever is excellent, whatever is worthy of praise, and think on these things, right? It says, think about the bigger picture. Again, that echoed for me, set your mind on things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. One of them said, if you want to improve your perspective, show gratitude. Sounded a lot like in everything, give thanks. Um, one of them said, if you want to improve your perspective, get in a workout. And I thought, that sounds stupid. That's just, I immediately stopped trusting this whole, this is the dumbest website I've ever been to. You know what I mean? The problem was the very next one said, take a nap. And I thought, eh, maybe they're onto something. Maybe, uh, maybe I'll keep reading. Sounds like, they're, sounds like they have really have found a secret. <laughs> here's, what, here's what struck me as I read those. Every one of them, listen, every one of them were a man-centered way at an attempt to increase joy. That's what they were. They were a man-centered, man-dependent way to try and increase our joy. Why? Because even the world understands our perspective shapes our joy. Our, your perspective is the gatekeeper of your joy. It is either feeding it or it is starving it, which is why, church, a gospel-centered perspective is essential to the joy of the believer. You have to allow the gospel to shape how you view and, and bring in and experience and respond to the world. It is essential to your joy. And in Philippians, what we get, and we're going to see it here in chapter 1, we get a glimpse under the hood of Paul's life. We get this glimpse under the hood of Paul's life. Paul had everything, everything stripped away from him. And he had every excuse to despair. And yet, there is a gospel perspective that is feeding a supernatural joy in him. And I want to discover that together. So grab your Bible. If you're not there yet, go to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 18. Philippians chapter 1, we're going to start in 18. If you're there, let me hear you say, the Bible is true. The Bible is true. That's right. So what's happening is Paul is telling the church that Christ is being proclaimed, but he's saying there are some people who do it with the right motive, but there's some people out there preaching the gospel, and they're doing it out of spite and envy. They're doing it because they don't like me, and they're trying to add insult to injury while I'm in prison. But here's what he says in response to that. Well, what then? In verse 18, only 
that in every way, whether by pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. And it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Amen. In verse 18, Paul says that because Christ is proclaimed, he says, I rejoice. I have, a, I have a present joy now. And then without breaking stride, he moves from the joy that he has now to the joy he's going to have in the future. He says, yes, and I will rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. The implication in the language there is I will go on rejoicing. I will move forward with joy. And we have to remember that as Paul speaks of the joy he'll carry with him into the future, that future is very uncertain. Two years into a prison sentence he's in right now, and he has no idea what's going to happen to him. He doesn't know how any of this is going to work out, church, which means this, Paul can't base any of his joy on these things going his way. That's a hard thing for us to do, right? Paul cannot base any of his joy on any of this working out in his favor. None of it. What he knows is he's going to stand trial before Caesar. That's what he knows. The man who has all the power to free him or to kill him. To exonerate him or exterminate him. And he, has, he does not know the future. But what he knows is that he will have joy no matter what the future holds. Well, how did he get there? Here's how he got there. Because Paul's joy is not triggered or sustained by anything external. Prison, Caesar, hardship, persecution, misery, pain, none of those things hold sway over Paul's joy. And they shouldn't hold sway over our joy. Because joy is something that is internally triggered. It is born internally. It is the supernatural work of God in you. That's what joy is. It's why I bring joy to hardship. Hardship doesn't affect joy on me. I bring joy when I face it. Because it's internally triggered. It's born of something God is doing inside me. Which is why rejoicing in hardship, rejoicing in pain, rejoicing in uncertainty. Listen, that's a miracle. It's a miracle to bring that. It's a supernatural work of God. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit at work within you. And that's what we see happening in Paul here. God is doing a supernatural work in here. But I want you to hear me say this. Paul was not some super saint with access to something in God that you and I don't have. I think there's times we look at guys like Paul and Peter and the disciples and all these dudes who have formed so much of what we have come to know about God and who he is, and we look at them as if they had access to something in God that we don't have. What we see in Paul is not a power he had that we don't, but rather the power of God at work in him the way it ought to be at work in us. That's what we see. 
And so Paul says in verse 18 and 19, he, he shows us the means by which God is doing this supernatural work of joy. Look again at the back part of verse 18 into 19. Paul says, yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. This radical, gospel-centered, supernatural joy was a work that Jesus was doing in Paul through two means, the prayers of the church and the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's what he is, the prayers of the church and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Let's kind of look at those and discover that together. Paul says one of the ways God is doing this supernatural work of joy in the midst of hardship not in the absence of it, in the middle of it, is through the prayers of the church. Look at verse 19. For I know that through your prayers, this will turn out for my deliverance. Now, in order for us to understand how the prayers of the church and the presence of the Holy Spirit are working in Paul here, we have to get an understanding of what he means by the word deliverance. That word deliverance that he uses is the Greek word soterion, which is uh, often translated salvation. That's how that word is often translated. And it makes me wonder, what is Paul saying here? Is he saying that um, the prayers of the church are going to be what get him out of prison so he can walk around Rome and do whatever he wants? The prayers of the church are going to be what saves him from jail? I, I don't think that's what he's saying because in verse 20, he goes on to say, I want Christ to be honored in my body, whether by my life or by my death. Death, never leaving this prison alive, is a very real possibility for Paul. So when Paul talks about deliverance and salvation, he isn't talking about being delivered from prison. He's talking about being delivered through it. That's what he's talking about. He said, it is through the prayers of the church, God is going to deliver me through this. He's going to bring me to the other side of it. In essence, Paul is saying this, and it is incredibly powerful for us. Paul is saying to the church that God is using your prayers. He is using your praying for me to make me secure in his salvation and the assurance of his salvation and the confidence of my deliverance, whatever Caesar decides to do with me. He says, church, there's a supernatural work God is doing because you're praying for me. That's powerful. He says, I'm becoming secure. I'm gaining assurance. I have this confidence in the assurance of God's salvation and in my ultimate deliverance, no matter what Caesar does. Listen, there is supernatural provision from God through our prayers. Prayers, your praying is not wasted time. It is not empty words. It is a step into a supernatural exchange with the one who runs the cosmos. Amen. And Paul is saying there is some sort of supernatural thing forming in me because the church is praying. God uses our praying. Somehow God in all of his power and in all of his sovereignty has determined that there are spiritual blessings and provision that is only available through the prayers of his people. And that's not that we 
control God with our prayers, but that he has ordained that his purposes are brought to pass in concert with our prayers. He has set that in place. This is why James is able to say that the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Well, what is that power? It's something God is pouring out and working through. God works his purposes through prayer. It's a powerful thing for us to take hold of. And Paul knew that the Philippian church was praying for him. And that, just that awareness, God was using to do a supernatural work of joy in him. So listen, if you are ever tempted to believe that your prayers don't matter, that your prayers have no power, I want you to think to this moment, and I want you to remember that through prayer, God lets us be a part of what he is doing in the unseen. Allowing you to be a part of a supernatural work in someone else's life. Which means this, I want you to pray for me. I want you to say my name to Jesus every time you think of me. Because in that praying, I know God is going to do a supernatural work in me, whether you see it or not. Because Paul said, I know I'm going to experience God's deliverance, whatever it might look like, and I have joy in that because the church is praying. Which means you need me to pray for you. Because you need to experience that joy in what God is doing. Those two means there. This work of joy is happening through the prayer of the church and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Look at what he says next. He says, For I know that through the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. The Spirit of Jesus Christ is just a reference to the Holy Spirit. Paul realizes, he's understanding, there is a supernatural power to remain faithful that only comes from the presence of the Holy Spirit. There is a supernatural power that Paul is experiencing to be faithful in hardship that is only present in him. There's a strength that is present in him, and it's only there because the Holy Spirit is there. There's a faithfulness to God that we get in the filling of the Spirit that we don't have without him. Here's what I love about Paul. Paul is a man who is fully aware of his own weaknesses. He is aware that he, is, that he has weaknesses, and he knows there is a steadfastness. There's a joy. There's a wisdom. There's a perseverance that he needs that he won't have apart from the filling of the Holy Spirit so that whatever his deliverance may look like, Walking out of prison or being delivered from this body into eternity. Whatever deliverance may look like, it's going to be the Holy Spirit that's going to sustain his joy until the end. This is how Paul endured. It's a filling of the Spirit. And it's why so many believers feel defeated in their walk with Jesus. Because they're only bringing their best effort to a supernatural battle. They're only bringing the the best that their will can muster up to a supernatural battle that needs 
the supernatural filling of the Spirit in order to give you the strength and the wisdom and the, and the perseverance and the faithfulness to endure. The presence of the Holy Spirit is what we need when we at all times, but certainly when we find ourselves in places of hardship and uncertainty. God's Word teaches us who the Holy Spirit is for us in those moments. He says the Holy Spirit is the one who guides us when we're uncertain about the future. The Holy Spirit gives us spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the desire to obey God at all. Did you know your flesh can't even form a desire to obey God? That has to come from the Holy Spirit. It's why so many of us look at people who are walking in a freedom over sin and we go, how did they get there? Because the, their, their desire to obey God was born of the Holy Spirit doing a work in them. That's the work of the Spirit. He gives us that desire to obey God. It's the Holy Spirit that enables us to, to pray. It's the Holy Spirit that enables us to understand God's Word. In church, we need all the, the full, all-sufficient provision of the Holy Spirit of God. And I want you to hear me say, His supply of wisdom and comfort and power and desire to obey will always far exceed your needs. It will always far exceed your needs, which means this. You can't ask for too much of the Spirit. Can't do it. You can't petition before God that he would feel. It's like pouring the ocean into a thimble for all the sufficiency of the Holy Spirit to be poured into our little lives. You can't ask for too much of the Spirit. Ask for more. Beg him to fill you. He is sufficient and, and he can pour out. We can't even begin to take it all in. He is more than able. He is more than able to sustain you right in the middle of your most painful and uncertain moments. He's more than able. That's why every Wednesday night when we get into this room, part of our praying is that we would be filled in a fresh way with the Holy Spirit. It's why every Sunday morning, I pray that God's Holy Spirit would pour out on us in a fresh way. Because it is the Holy Spirit who empowers us to honor Christ with joy. Whether it is in the day-to-day -day grind where we live, work, and play, or whether we are having joy in being courageous and faithful even unto death. It's the work of the Spirit. And Paul says, I have this joy Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that the prayers of the church and the presence of the Holy Spirit God will use to turn out my deliverance. It's powerful. So, prayers of the church, presence of the Holy Spirit, they're doing this supernatural work of joy in Paul. And listen, that's going to lead to two enormous outcomes that we need to grab this morning. That work, those prayers and the filling of the Spirit, two outcomes in our life. It gives us an unwavering confidence and an unashamed courage. An unwavering confidence and an unashamed courage. Let's look at those. Look at what Paul says in verse 19. For I know, not I feel, 
Not fingers crossed, I hope. For I know this will. Not it might turn out for my deliverance. It will turn out for my deliverance. That word know means to know something without a doubt. It's this bedrock certainty. Paul is saying, I know. I am confident God is going to bring me out of this prison cell, either in my release or my execution, but somehow this is going to turn out for my deliverance. I'm confident. I've got this unwavering confidence in God. And Paul's confidence is not that this will all work out pleasantly. (laughs) That's not what he's confident about. But that it is going to work out how God would have it work out. And his joy is in knowing God is going to work this out for God's glory. Which prompts us to have to answer the question, what if God's glory doesn't feel good? I like it when God's glory just just feels good. It's not painful. It's not hard. But what if God, what God wants to do in your life to show himself as the most satisfying reality in the universe? What if what he wants to do in your life to show himself glorious is to take you through something that doesn't feel good? You go, is that what he would do? That's what he's doing in Paul now. And I would contend with you in my own life The most beautiful things I've ever discovered about God and the greatest displays of his glory in me were things that he brought me through, not saved me from. Anybody else have that as your testimony? God brought me through and I saw him as more glorious. God brought me through and I saw him as more beautiful. God brought me through and he became more satisfying. He became more irresistible in my life. That's what Paul's saying. He ain't saying, I have a confidence that this is going to work out the way I want it to, but that God's going to work this out for his glory. And I have to imagine, in this moment, Paul is recalling a word the words that he wrote to the church in Rome five years. Five years before this moment, he wrote a letter to the church in Rome. And I have to believe that now, as he sits in a prison in their city, five years later, he is recalling the words he wrote to them in Romans eight twenty eight when he says, And we know. Same word, for I know and we know for those who love God, all things, prison, persecution, execution, work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. I have to believe those things just surfaced back up by the power of the Holy Spirit as he sat in that prison. I have a bedrock certainty, a rock solid foundation and belief. I know God is working this and it will turn out for my deliverance. Paul has placed his life into the sovereign hands of God's goodness. And do you know what he discovered there? Confidence and joy. That's what he discovered. Paul's joy is rooted in the confidence of who God is. 
That even in prison, the Lord has sovereign purposes. So, So let me ask you, what circumstances are you walking through right now where you need to believe God has sovereign purposes? What difficult situation are you facing? In your family, in your marriage, with your children, in your finances, at your job, what are you going through right now where you need to believe in a fresh way that God has sovereign purposes? This is huge for us. It's huge for us because there is a direct link between my joy and my confidence in the sovereignty of God. There is a direct link between your joy in this life and your confidence in the sovereignty of God. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which I lay my head at night. It is that which brings joy to my heart that God is overruling in the storms of life and is using it for a great good. How can we have joy if everything is just random? If this is all chance, how do we have, there's no joy in that. There's no joy there. And we discount our joy when we don't hold to the truth of the supreme authority of God over all things. We, dis- we diminish our joy when we don't hold to the truth that God is supremely ruling. Because if God is not supreme over all things, then my suffering has no meaning. And if it has no meaning, there's no joy. Joy is found in the unwavering confidence that God is doing something. That God is sovereign. And because God is sovereign, we don't have to live as victims. Life is not a thing happening to me. It's a thing I'm walking through as God delivers me. Because God is sovereign, I no longer have to react with bitterness and cynicism and hate. Because God is sovereign, no person or circumstance can prevent God from accomplishing his good purpose in me. And listen, because God is sovereign, our one great enemy is our own willingness to trust his good purpose. Are you trusting that good purpose? Because listen, as we learn to trust God more and trust that sovereignty and rest in it and find our confidence in it, God begin to, he begins to give us glimpses of what he's doing. And the more I see of what God's doing, the deeper my joy grows. One of the outcomes of this work of joy because of the prayer and the filling of the Spirit was Paul had an unwavering confidence that his suffering was not meaningless. God was doing something. So for there's an unwavering confidence. Here's the second thing. Through that prayer, through the filling, the other outcome was an unashamed courage. Look at verse 20. Paul says, As it is my eager expectation and hope that, not, that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, Now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, 
whether by life or by death. Paul is saying that because the church is praying for me and the Holy Spirit is helping me, I am not going to be brought to shame, but I will face this moment with courage. Paul doesn't want to come to this trial and wilt under the authority that Caesar has over his life. He doesn't want to come to this moment where he is, Paul is going to stand trial. He is going to be pressed about his faith in Jesus. He is going to be given the opportunity to turn away. And he's saying, I don't want to come to that moment and, and, and wilt under that. I want to bring unashamed courage to that moment and for Christ to be honored in my body with what I say and what I do, even if it costs me my life. Whether I live or whether I die, I want to bring courage to that moment. And I said this to the Longview campus last week, but the Holy Spirit just keeps stirring it in my life, which is, I think most believers, me too, we build lives that are padded from living, from having to be risky for Jesus. Did that make sense or did it only make sense in my head, but it didn't make sense when I said it? That happens sometimes to me. I think so many of us have made our aim to build a life where we never have to risk anything for Christ. We've padded it. We've protected it. We've pushed out and pushed away from any part of culture or society where we might have to stand up in courage. And we've said, I'm not gonna, here's how I'm gonna have to avoid the awkwardness of standing up. I'm just gonna pad a life where I never have to engage it. And I'm not saying invite sinful influence. I'm saying lost people need Jesus. And they don't know they're lost. And they don't know how glorious and satisfying Christ is until someone who knows it stands up and says it. And I've spent too many of my believing years padding my life so that I didn't have to risk anything for Christ. But that is not the life we're <laughs> called to. And I think what the church needs is some believers who are willing to risk it all. What if I get fired? God is working his sovereign purposes. What if they stop including me? God is, he's doing something. He's working his sovereign purposes. What if they label me? Because that's going to happen. I think one of the great fears we have is being labeled. We don't want to take, I hate those labels too. What if they label me? God is working his sovereign purposes. Paul says, I wanted to bring unashamed, full courage to the moment when it mattered most, even if it cost me everything. In Luke 12, Jesus was preparing his disciples for a moment just like this when he said in Luke 12, verse 4, these are the words of Christ. He said, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that, 
have nothing more they can do. <laughs> I got to tell you, my flesh doesn't understand that. He said, don't fear those who can kill the body. And after that, they have nothing more they can do. That kind of courage is supernatural. Your will cannot manufacture that. We need prayer and we need the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. For Paul, this courage was the fruit of the prayers of the saints and the filling of the Spirit. It was the work of the Holy Spirit in him. William Hendrickson said this about what the Holy Spirit was doing in Paul at this time. Listen to what he said. He said, the Holy Spirit will never permit Paul to seek an easy way out of his imprisonment. For example, by denying his Lord. He'll never permit Paul to seek the easy way out. On the contrary, he will equip the apostle with unfailing courage, literally complete outspokenness, a courage which reveals itself in a frank and unhesitant proclamation of the good tidings of salvation to all who are willing to listen, and which has at its source confidence in God and in his promises. The confidence of one who knows that at all times he can approach his God without fear. Unwavering confidence, unashamed courage. Do you need those renewed in you today? I told you earlier that we were going to baptize, we're to celebrate baptism. I want you to hear me. Because I think there's some in this room who need to be baptized this morning. I believe that. I think there's some of you in this room who need to be baptized. And for one reason or another, you've not done it. But to borrow a line from William Hendrickson that I just read, baptism is the first unhesitant proclamation of the good tidings of salvation that a believer can make. It is the first opportunity you have to step out in unashamed courage and in obedience to Jesus declare he is my Lord. I belong to Him, and He belongs to me. And I'm not ashamed of that. I love that, and I want everybody to know it. That's what baptism is. Some of you need to do that today. And I'm pressing in on this because today is, it's time to stop hesitating, to stop making excuses, and just step out in courage, in, in courage and go, I need to be baptized. It's time. How do you know if you need that? Is there a moment in your life where you have trusted Jesus as your Lord? You know you belong to him. That there was that moment that you met Christ and he changed you forever. But from that moment to now, you've not been baptized. You say, well, this thing happened to me when I was a kid. But Jesus changed my life in high school or when I was in college or a few years ago. Went through, God changed my life. Well, we have to get our baptism on the right side of our salvation because we can't declare through baptism a work that God hadn't done. 
right? But if you know Jesus has saved you, then it is time to stop making excuses and to go, I'm going to, today's the day. I'm going to be courageous. And you go, Matt, I brought nothing. I brought nothing to be baptized. Good. I brought everything. I got all of it. Clothes outer and under. I got it. You will leave in the clothes you wore. We'll give you shorts. We got everything that you need. And in a moment, we're going to start singing. And if that's you, today's the day. Today's the day. Step out. Where do you find your greatest joy in life? Because some of you don't need baptism. You need salvation. You need the joy that comes in knowing Christ. Not in knowing about Him, but in knowing Him personally, intimately, relationally. Knowing Christ. And right now, you may be in a place where on paper, your life looks great. You got the job. The family looks nice. Your Instagram feed is stellar. But true joy is missing. The greatest joy you will ever experience in this life for all eternity will be in knowing Christ in your soul and having Him live in you. Do you need that joy? That is salvation. Jesus died for your sins. The very thing that separates you from the joy God wants you to have, He died for that. So that in receiving the free gift of salvation through the cross and the shedding of his blood and saying, I'm going to take that sacrifice to pay the debt I owe for the sins in my life. I'm going to receive that as my salvation, my deliverance, and have God restore my joy. If you need that in just a moment, the second I say amen and we start singing, you need to start moving. Right now, the enemy is whispering to you, oh, you might need that, but let's do that next Sunday. Yeah, you need to be baptized, but listen, man, it's okay. Stay. We'll do that next week. Let's, let's call the church. And we'll, we'll do that. Unashamed courage. Unwavering confidence. Today's the day. Father, I pray that for the next few minutes, as we respond, we would be obedient. Give us confidence, give us courage. In Jesus' name.